you turn into your Bibles into Matthew 24, we're going to just pick right up where we left off last week. We, uh, some of you maybe don't know, uh, we started a series called Question, You Have Questions, We've Got Answers, and, uh, and one of the questions, our first question that was asked was, I keep hearing that we're living in the end times or last days, how do we know it? So we started last week talking about some of the signs of the end times and, and uh, started in, in Matthew 24, the questions that Jesus uh, was answering about this question to the disciples, and we covered a lot of that stuff last week. Uh, I'll encourage you, if you want to hear that, it'll be online Monday morning since I was gone. I didn't get that put up this last week, but it'll be online uh, tomorrow morning. Um, we covered a lot of ground last week. We talked about wars and rumors of wars. We talked about earthquakes, uh, pestilence, and, and all those kinds of things. And, and how is compared with birth pains. And we all understand birth pains, right? They start out small and they progress. They become more intense. Uh, and, and, and we looked at and recognized several of those things becoming more intense. And today we are in Matthew 24, verses 12 and 13. We're going to see another area that is starting to become more intense as a sign of the last days and the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew 24, verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, This is Jesus' words, remember. Jesus is saying this. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus is saying one of the signs, telltale signs of the end of the age or the coming of his, uh, the appearing of Jesus, the Lord's Savior, uh, returning not only in the rapture, but ultimately putting his feet back on the earth again, is this increase in wickedness. And how the love of most will grow cold. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul makes a reference to this. As he writes to Timothy, he says in verse 1, The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Now, Paul writes this to Timothy and he says that in later times. Everybody say later times. Now, they knew that they were in the last days. We talked about this last week because uh, the prophet Joel had prophesied on the day of Pentecost, about the day of Pentecost, and Peter confirms that this is what the the prophet Joel talked about, that in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on your your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men dream dreams, your young men see visions, right? In the book, remember that? So uh, we already know that he knows they're in the last days, so he points to a time that is later. There's a time coming, a time that's not now, but yet a time that is coming when... People are going to abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. This has often been referred to as the great apostasy. People will talk about people apostating themselves against God. And and, and what that comes from is the Greek word apostasia, which means people are turning away from the truth. In other words, this being seared as with a hot iron, they turn and reject the truth to a point to where they no longer feel conviction. They no longer feel the tinge or tug of God. It's not that God's not drawing them or pulling them. It's that they have hardened themselves. It's a little bit like a callus. When, you, when you're working with your hands, I get made fun of now since I've been in the ministry for 11 years. Do you realize I've been your pastor officially last week five years? What happened there? I've been in the ministry long enough that my calluses aren't quite what they used to be. You know what I'm saying? But, but when you're working with your hands on a regular basis, your body naturally builds up a callus to protect itself so that while you're working, you're not constantly hurting yourself, right? Does that make sense? In the same sense, we can harden ourselves against God. If we don't allow His, His Holy Spirit to soften us, it will harden us. 
And so what's taking place here is Jesus is saying that in these last days and in these end times, people are going to turn away from the truth and chase after lies. They're going to, uh, the love of most is going to grow cold. This natural love and affection toward human life, toward God, toward family, toward children, whatever it is, is going to be twisted, perverted, or grown cold and not be natural. Does that make sense? So that's what he's talking about happening in these last days. And as, as, as Paul's talking about in later times, demons of doctrines that are going to draw people away. Now, doctrines of demons that are going to draw people away. This is possible. This happens. We have even scriptural reference of people who were in the presence of God, who knew the love of God, who ultimately rejected that love. Judas Iscariot walked with Jesus, knew Jesus, and you, you remember the passage of Scripture where Jesus says, I'm going to put my spirit on him and give you authority. You're going to have authority and they're going to go out and they're going to cast out demons and they're going to heal the sick. And all of them come back and they even say, hey, it was awesome. The demons listened to us and bodies were healed and all this stuff. And Jesus said, don't rejoice over this. You rejoice over that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You remember all that? Judas was a part of that. Judas experienced the power of God. And yet Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Judas turned away for his own agenda instead of the agenda of Jesus Christ. Now people will say, well, Judas was this and Judas was trying to do that. Listen, we could argue over the theories as to why Judas did what he did, but ultimately the main thing is the main thing. Judas rejected Christ. Judas killed himself instead of repenting. Amen? We see this in Scripture. There are others too. Hymenius and Alexander were mentioned by Paul in 1 Timothy 1 as having shipwrecked their faith through blasphemy. Shipwrecked their faith, meaning they had possession of a faith that they took the course of themselves instead of obeying God through blasphemous teaching, chose another path, a path of some form of religion that was opposite of what Christ has put in place for them to follow. They had shipwrecked their faith, a faith that at some point had some kind of faith in God that they pursued now their own agenda and their own wants and their own desire that they felt like, hey, I'm going to honor God my own way, thinking they were honoring God and God was not seen as honor and saw them as shipwrecked instead. Demas was mentioned in 2 Timothy 4, turned away because he loved this present world more than the world to come. He loved this present world more than the world to come. In other words, what Paul was saying was, is that Demas said this whole Christian thing is too much work. It's too hard for me. I'm tired of the trouble. I'm tired. Listen, who would have wanted to follow Paul around all the time? I'm tired of the beatings. I'm tired of the stress. I just want to be comfortable. I want to be at home and I don't want this anymore. He decided to forfeit his soul Because he wanted the pleasures of the world instead. So we look at these things in Scripture, and we know, and we see this. Humankind is that this is just our mark. This is how we are. We're we're very, uh, we waver a lot in our faith. We, We don't want to be completely sold out because we really exalt the desire for comfort, for things, and so on and so forth. And what Jesus is saying here, what Paul's saying here, is that people are going to turn away. For other things. Paul talks about these last days and a later time, how people are going to follow deceiving spirits. Now, I'm not going to stay long on this because we did a whole thing talking about recognizing, excuse me, 
and the Antichrist spirit and false prophets, but just for the sake of clarity, I'm going to be clear, uh, our culture is increasing with people who are believing deceiving spirits. It's just, it is increasing. That's where we're at today. How do I know it's the end times? Because the more you look and you see people taking the truth of God and you twist it and make it a lie of God and call it truth and use it for something to be self-glorifying and to pursue what I want and what I desire, that is a deceiving spirit. We have even had deceiving spirits manifest themselves to people to establish religions. For example, Mormonism was established by uh, Joseph Smith when he saw an angel called Moroni, which I like to call Morani the angel. Go ahead and laugh, it's a joke. An angel that is a false angel is obviously a fallen angel. Anytime somebody wants to add to the Word of God, we already know what Paul said. He made clear, he said, if you want to add to or take away, if any angel comes, anybody, even whether it's me or an angel from heaven that comes and gives you any other gospel than the gospel that's been preached, let him forever be condemned to hell. That's what he said. So people are following that in mass. Islam was established when an angel appears to Muhammad and teaches him another way other than Christ. Listen, folks, this is happening today. This is real. Deceiving spirits don't happen to just have to be angels themselves. If you read the book of Revelation, you'll see where deceiving spirits will go out and they enter into the mouths of prophets. We know that people are led and swayed by spirits. And in our culture today, the people that are calling that which is evil good and that which is good evil are false spirits. They're people that are being led by demonic false teachings and are leading people astray. Can I get an amen and we love you, Pastor? The sad thing is... People are not just receiving false teaching. Don't you love it when I teach this stuff? Lord, what are you doing? The sad thing is that people are not just receiving false teaching from cults, but from ministers who claim to be ministers of the gospel as well. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says this, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Does this sound like the day and age that we live in? Again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we've just spent time talking about it. But the reality is, folks, this is a sign that the return of Christ is very close. In order for our culture to give itself over to a one world religion and bow itself down to an antichrist, they must be willing to believe about anything that they hear other than the gospel. You tell me, do we have people in our culture today that call the... Okay, I'm just going to... Can I talk? Can we talk? Can I be honest with you? This isn't in my notes, but I'm just going to talk to you. Is that all right? Has anybody watched the History Channel lately? I don't have cable and I don't pay for TV, so I don't get all this stuff. But when April and I were in Orlando, uh, you had to swim outside because of the humidity. So we stayed inside a little bit and I'm flipping the channels and there's a history channel. Do you know what they said? (laughs) Our alien ancestors. And I said, April, did you catch that? She said, that's all they have on here is alien stuff. I said, I know. It's been like the aliens helped the Germans in World War II. The aliens established this. The aliens established that. I said, you know why they're doing this? And the re- You know why they call the aliens alien ancestors? Listen, you can't prove they exist, but they exist. 
They built the pyramids, right, Greg? They also, uh, the aliens were the ones that were the, the pillar by a uh, pillar of a cloud by day and a fire at night for the Jews. That was the aliens that parted the water. Okay. But the reason they call them our alien ancestors is because our science community refuses to believe in a creative God and they cannot prove that life came from nothing. They know life produces life. They know that. And they know the cosmic soup is impossible. They know that it can't. So when you ask a scientist, and I've heard it done before, where did life come from if not from God? Well, life had to be planted by other life. They believe that you and I are ancestors of aliens. <laughs> Doctrines of demons. Lies, deceit. And our culture is more comfortable believing that we came from aliens than they are believing that there's a creative God that set the universe in order. If I came from aliens, why aren't my eyes bigger and my fingers longer? Just a question. I'd play guitar a whole lot better if my fingers were longer. Stubby little things now. I think it's safe to say that Paul's future is our present today. He says this in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with them. What, what's happening here and what he's saying is, is that he could look into our day. The Holy Spirit gave him a glimpse in today. And you know what Paul said about it? He said that it's going to be terrible times. He saw our day and called it terrible. You know what we call it? We're great. Look at the great advancements of technology and industrialism and look at all of the great advancements in the vehicle and, and this and that and, and, and the mall cop can ride around on one of those things. Segways. We're just a great advanced community. But what Paul said was, it's terrible, man. And he begins to list these things. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud. But then it goes down and it says without love. They're lovers of themselves but without love. What are you without love for if you're a lover of yourself? You're out of love for others and, and, and normal love is going to dry up and be cold and gone. Listen, folks, the last days are something that should grieve us. It should be seen as terrible. My question, listen, I, I, last night we watched the news. We, when we're gone for a week, we feel totally disconnected from what's happening in our ear. We watched Fox 59 News last night at 10 o'clock when it came on. We watched about a half hour of it and just sit there and shake our heads. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable what's out there. You know, when you see a guy on the news that apparently killed his son, has, has had another child somewhere else that he had been in trouble for hurting them and abusing them, and now the guy's not in jail where he belongs. He's at home with another kid who he breaks both of their ribs and could see past breaks and puts the kid to bed after he kills it and then burns it in the bed. Folks, you can't turn on the news without seeing crime after crime after crime after crime against innocent children. 
Why? Because we have a culture that's depraved, absolutely godless, fearless of man, fearless of law, full of themselves to the point to where they will use anything to meet their own needs, their own wants, their own desires, and do whatever harm they can to whatever they can, whoever they want, so that they can have their needs satisfied and worry about the consequences later. That's where we're at. Folks, it's terrible times. It's terrible. The, the shootings in Indianapolis, like somebody's shot and killed every single day. They found two dead bodies in Danville the other day. Whose are they? We don't know. I don't know if they've solved that yet. I knew that before I left. Folks, listen. We live in terrible times. People are full of themselves. People think that they can do whatever they want, however they want, whenever they want, and demand, 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 demand. Give me this, give me that, or I'll take it. This is our culture. Isn't this really encouraging? It's just the truth. It's a sign that the return of our Savior is coming. This may be terrible times, but it's a time of great, great opportunity for the church. Hear me. It's a great... I'm I'm not teaching and preaching, woe is us, this is horrible. Oh, it's all... Listen, friend, child of God, the fields are white with harvest. You don't have to go two states over or nations over to find people who are absolutely godless who need to hear the gospel. Step out your front door. Go to your neighbor's house. Walk in the school. Walk down the street. Walk to the IGA. Amen? It's not the IGA anymore, is it? I always do that. I wish it was. I don't, I don't care. I'm just making a joke. Never mind. You're going to call people up. Pastor Bob says he doesn't like county market. I don't care. I don't even care. It's okay. Uh, what was I talking about? Oh, it's terrible times. IGA became county market. Now I called IGA all the time. Terrible. My point is this, child of God, if these things stir you up and you are um, distressed, if you are frustrated or concerned, if it drives you to pray harder, if it drives you to... uh, recognize the times we're living and to reach out more, to do something. If it pushes you to action, that's a good thing because it should. Amen? However, if, if, if we claim we're just comfortable with it and everything's wonderful and all we're worried about is our nice, big, high-definition flat screen and our devices and our, 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 our exotic foods that we eat and our expensive cars, expensive homes... If that's all we're consumed with and we're comfortable in this mess, you have a problem. You are overly connected to this world. We need to, the Christians should be in these last days like Lot was when he was living in Sodom in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. It says, And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lies of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Listen, people will say, Pastor Bob, Lot didn't have it all together. Lot had issues. I would agree with you. And I would say that Lot was a little bit compromised in some things, but he had enough faith in God to be declared righteous. And he was righteous enough that he was disturbed by what was taking place around him. When the men were groping around in the darkness looking for the angels to be intimate with these angels, he, would, he stood there and said, no, this should not be. He was, he was, he was not giving approval. He was not giving approval. 
He was tormented by it. He was frustrated by it. He was disgusted by it. But he was delivered. Hear what I'm saying to you. Before the wrath of God comes upon this world, he's going to pull us out. And the ones he's going to pull out are not the ones that are comfortable and happy and groping in the darkness. He's going to pull out the ones that are tormented in their righteous soul by everything that's happening around them. You want to know why? Because the Spirit of God is within you and the Spirit of God is not happy with the sin in this world. And he's going to be tormented in his soul every time he sees a baby burned in its baby bed. Doesn't mean he's not going to have compassion on the one who did it. It's just the continuation of the cycle of sin in our culture. We live in a culture where there's this influence that says, I don't want to shift to who God is. I want God to shift to me. I want to gather around myself a great number of teachers and people who will tell me what I want to hear. You know that's where our culture is right now. I've had phone calls. I've had visitors ever since the Supreme Court decision to legalize marriage. Whatever. The government can do whatever it wants to do. If they want to legalize marriage, that's fine. That's up to them. But to me, the one who holds the Word of God and teaches and preaches it, now I've got people coming and telling me that I've got to conform to the government on that. If you do, I'll come to your church. Sir, ma'am, you can find a church that will teach this for you, but I will not. I will teach truth. I'll teach truth. And I've told people who have said things about this that have talked with me, well, what if I have a family member that is, is living a homosexual lifestyle? They can't come to your church. I said, listen... We have people of all kinds of sin come to our church. We've had, we've had adulterers. We've had liars. We've had thieves. We've had all kinds of people come to our church. And you know what? I treat them all the same when they come through the door, but I don't get up in the pulpit and tell them what they're doing is right and that God's pleased with it. <laughs> so I'm not going to shift with this thing any different than anything else. But there's, there's this movement right now in our culture that people are church shopping. Hear me. They're church shopping, looking for a church that will fit all the things that they want to hear. Do you know what that's called? Gathering around them a great number of teachers to tell them what they want to hear. You know what that's called? Having a form of godliness, having a form of religion, but denying the power that holiness brings through our lives. That is a sign that Jesus is coming soon. Didn't that just make the hair stand up on the back of your neck? Or was I the only one that felt that? And I even shaved my neck just a couple days ago. Let's move on to something else. We talk about sin all the time. I'm tired of talking about sin. You want to talk about something else? (laughs) I am sick of dealing with sin, trust me. In my life and in the lives of others. Can I get an amen? amen. Sick of it. God's sick of it too. Um, let's talk about one, uh, another thing. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me have time. I talk too much off my notes. Thanks a lot. See, you give me permission for these things. <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> I blame you. And our pastor is without love. So, um... Another obvious sign uh, that the end is very near, that our our Lord is returning soon. Let me just say this, one more thing about the increase of wickedness. 
Wickedness is not going to reach. Somebody's Pastor Bob, wickedness is, is going to continue to increase. Yes, it's not going to reach its maximum potential, its maximum level of wickedness until Jesus comes and puts his foot on the earth. Okay? It's going to continue throughout the tribulation period. So, child of God, don't look for, well, now it's bad enough that the Lord can return and take us and pull us out of it. Listen, wickedness before Sodom and Gomorrah was taken, uh, taken into the wrath of God had reached its full potential in, in, in Lot and his family was snatched out at the very last moment. Uh, we're going to be snatched out about seven years before that period, okay? So we, I'm not going to go into all that. We don't have time to go into all that. But let's just know that through that period, the tribulation period, wickedness is going to increase greatly throughout that time period. So what's, what's another obvious sign that the return of Christ is very near? And that is the fact that Israel has been reborn as a nation in 1948. Now, we've talked about this before, but we've talked about all this stuff before. So bear with me. Somebody may be hearing it for the first time. In Hosea chapter 3, it says this, For the Israelites will live for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Um, Where are we on the prophetic calendar according to this passage of Scripture? Hosea said that Israel would live many days without all these things, without king, without sacrifice, so on and so forth. This has been true of them since about 70 A.D., okay? It's been taking place for a long time. Uh, They had no king, they had no prince, no sacrifice, so on and so forth. But verse 5 shows us where Israel is today. It says, afterwards, the Israelites will return, okay? The rest of it says, and seek the Lord. So they're not quite there to seeking the Lord yet, but they are returning, Israel, in 1948, miraculously became a nation. Again, a place. An organized, sovereign state. uh, From people who were collected from around the world in the region. This is impossible in the natural. It's just not going to happen. But we know that Israel ultimately will turn to Jesus Christ as their Messiah sometime in the tribulation period following the rapturing of the church out of the way, we know that that's going to take place. But Israel's return as a nation fulfills specific Bible prophecies concerning an international regathering of the Jews before the tribulation period. This regathering was predicted to, be, to take place after centuries of exile in various nations around the world. Ezekiel 36, look at it with me. It's on the screen. For I will take you out of the nations. You see that? Plural. Israel had been captive in Egypt... They had been captive in Babylon. Uh, And now he's saying, you're going to be spread out through the nations. You're going to be moved throughout the nations. The Jews all over the world, all over the nations are going to be gathered back. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. I love how he says, you will live in the land I gave your forefathers. Because it doesn't matter how many Arabs in that region hate them. They're going to get it. (laughs) Amen. It's theirs. It's done. It's going to be done. So this is a similar prophecy of what we read in Hosea. Ezekiel 
doesn't just predict Israel returning to its land after exile, but from the nations, as I said. And it's also obviously speaking of a future time because there's a promise for them being cleansed from their impurities in receiving a new heart and having a new spirit in them, which we know is only going to come through their faith in Jesus, the Messiah. This gathering was made official in 1948. This happened, 1948. The population was 806,000 people when it was first formed, but today it has reached 8,354,000. And 75% or just over 6 million of those in that nation of Israel are Jews. 75%. It's growing and continually growing. Statisticians, I believe that's how you say the word, have said that at the rate that they're growing now, it won't be long before there are more Jews in Israel than everywhere else in the world. There is a movement of the Jewish people back to their homeland on such a a high rate that they're having trouble keeping up with the growth itself with food and housing and all those kinds of things. So it is taking place. It's happening right now. Do you realize how impossible, how impossible that this is, that this happened? In, In chapter 36, I just read there in Ezekiel, if you go over to Ezekiel 37, he's speaking again of this, and he compares it to the Valley of Dry Bones. You all remember that passage, Valley of Dry Bones? And he says this in verse 11 and 12, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, O my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Now, this what happened in 1948 is just as miraculous as if God would have opened the graves and pulled people out of the ground. A nation isn't just born in a day. It doesn't just happen without the hand and will of God in it, in the middle of a region of people that hate them. Do you realize that in, by 1945, the millions of Jews that were killed in World War II, and three years later, they are a sovereign nation in the land that was promised to their fathers. Sounds a little bit like God raising the dead, doesn't it? It says, we are cut off. I can't think of another time that the nation of Israel felt more cut off than by the end of World War II. Folks, the nation of Israel being a nation is key because there are some Bible prophecies concerning the end time events during the tribulation period that requires Israel being a nation for them to happen. In Daniel 9 verse 27, speaking of the Antichrist, it says he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Three things. Uh, a nation... Doesn't have to, you don't have to make a contract or a treaty with a nation that's not a nation. Amen? Antichrist needed Israel, needs Israel to be a nation in order to have a treaty with them. And for many, many years, Israel wasn't a nation. They were scattered all over the place. The Jews were scattered all over the place. Now that they are a nation since 1948, now what is it that all of our presidents over the last however many years since then has talked about in the Middle East? Peace! 
trying to find middle ground, trying to get Israel to give a little bit more and give a little bit more and try to find peace and try to work out peace. There's a time coming where there's going to be a man that works out a peace treaty that we already know is going to break it before the seven years up. Sounds a little bit like Iran, doesn't it? But anyway, that's a joke. You can laugh. It's the same mentality. It's the same mentality, folks. Same basic region. So they had to be a nation. Secondly, there's, there's sacrifice. Which means to be a nation of Israel, if you are considered a Jew, no other person on the face of the earth does uh, your name, does it refer to a nationality and your religion, your faith. The Jews are defined by one word. I may be an American and a Christian, but they're a Jew. So they're a nation worshiping and sacrifice had to be stopped, which means it had to be started, which brings the third thing. That means they have to build a temple. And a lot of people believe that they're going to rebuild the temple immediately uh, early on with that peace treaty being signed. It's going to be connected with that. And many have already said that there's plans underway already written up for when that day comes to be able to build that temple. So I'm telling you, with Israel becoming a nation and established as a nation, we are very close to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 24, go back to Matthew 24, verses 32 and 33, and I realize I skipped a bunch of stuff in Matthew. That's okay, deal with it, go back home, read it. I just don't have time to cover everything in two weeks. There's a reference made in Matthew 24 about the fig tree. Many of you have heard this before, uh, and about a prophecy of Israel's becoming a nation. All this stuff, Jesus is still talking, talking about the signs of His return. Verse 32 of 24 says, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Now some people will say, Pastor, he's just making a reference to a fig tree, saying, See, just as you see these signs, you know that it's near. And then others will say he's making a reference to Israel. The only thing that's intriguing about it possibly being a reference to Israel is that other places in Scripture, excuse me, Jesus refers to Israel comparing her to a fig tree. In Luke 13, verses 6 through 9, he told his disciples, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but it did not, he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard for three years now, everybody say three years, three years I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Three years Jesus walked the streets of Jerusalem and the region ministering the gospel in in fertilizing the fig tree. Fertilizing. Obviously, Israel as a nation rejected. Many Jews obviously came to Christ. Large numbers came to Christ. But Israel as a nation rejected Christ. Uh, They were cut off. The old covenant is not sufficient to save them at this point. It's just not. Now some people say, Pastor, that's really mean. It's just the truth. And I'll fight with you about that another time. I'm not going to fight with you right now. But as we look at this, we see him refer to Israel as a fig tree. But now, if you look back to Matthew 24... Learn this from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know the summer's near. In other words, saying when you see Israel become a nation again, when you see her bud, when you see her birth back, when you see her sprout and begin to grow and bloom, you better watch because you know that my return is very, very near. And folks, that happened in 1948. How many years is that? That's been 67 years. Is that what I heard? Greg, the mathematician, I didn't even try. I knew somebody would yell it at me. It's a long time, folks. 
Jesus is coming back. Lastly, this morning, I just want to hit quickly, literally, four things. And I promise, somebody's like, dear Lord, we've been here for seven and a half hours now. (laughs) I'm just making points. I'm not going to go into detail on them. Some other stuff that I would love to cover that we just don't have time for, and I'm not going to do it right now. But there are some certain things. This this thing about Israel uh, becoming a nation is vital for end times events to be carried out in the tribulation period. It has to happen, and it has happened. What are some other things that are going to have to happen? Well, when we look in the, the tribulation period and we see that we're going to have basically a one-world currency or economy, okay? We're going to have a one-world government by a dictator known as the Antichrist. We will have a one-world religion established and run where ultimately we will, people that are left will need to be, will be asked to bow down to the Antichrist as their god. And the mark of the beast. These things that I'm not going to go into great detail about, but let's just talk about them in brief this morning just to say, is it possible? Let's start with our world economy. Our world economy is always referred to now as our world economy. We are a world because of technology. We don't sleep. And the the markets in Japan affect Wall Street, and Wall Street affects... Uh, the euro and the euro affects this and the whole thing with Greece right now with Greece uh, going under financially has affected the world markets do you there's this mindset now with our economists that don't just focus on the United States anymore they realize and believe that we've got to worry about the health of all these markets because if those markets go down then it's going to cause this market to go down and this one's up and healthy it's no longer about the United States just making sure we're healthy and and growing it's all every it's it's world-minded and people who are in business and industry who do a lot of buying and selling and trading, uh, especially with large corporations who have part of their products built in, uh, let's just say, Taiwan and India and other places and then shipped here. And these components, are good. it'll be assembled here, but parts are built here and here. What they would say to you is, boy, it would be nice if we had just one currency just so we wouldn't have to do all the exchanges all the time. Listen, our culture has changed from when, when uh, Job slipped onto a ship that was loaded down with stuff to go to Tarshish, okay? It's different. People didn't know what was always on the ship until the ship got somewhere. You know what I'm saying? And they say, what do you got on the ship? Well, we got some salad. It's a little rough because we, we got rats too. But uh, we got uh, some scurvy for you. Uh, you know, I mean, you didn't always know what was on the ship till it got there. Today, you can track it all around the world. Where's it at? We, we Alyssa picked out, no, well, April picked it out, a swimsuit before we went to vacation this spring in Florida. And, uh, oh, this is so cute. And we found it on eBay. And I said, okay. And I ordered it. And I said, well, how long is it going It was from China. Bought a swimsuit from China. Why did we buy a swimsuit from China? Well, it said, I didn't think it was really coming from, I thought it was made in China. Well, everything's made in China, but it came from China in, and it got here in like four weeks. It's like, I hope it gets here before we go to Florida. So we had to buy a backup suit just in case the other one didn't make it. <laughs> and it made it, but it came from China. Listen, it's, it's a different world we're living in here, folks. It's not the same. 
And our world economy is preparing us for people to embrace it because we Americans in our world is all about growth and, and all about making sure that we have all of our things and that we're comfortable and whatever it is that makes my life the most comfortable and most advanced that there could possibly be. Hmm. We're poised for it. What about a one-world government? Is it possible? And right now, some of you are saying, I just don't see it happening. I just don't see that happening. Listen, folks, when economies fall, when economies fail, and somebody comes in and has all the answers, they will run like crazy. Why? Because they want to keep their smartphones. I'm just being honest with you. We're really stupid people. We're really ignorant. We'll give up everything to have something really cool. It doesn't make sense, but that's just where we are. People will turn toward a world leader. He will rise up. The world will be in a very dangerous place. The economies are crashing and falling. Food, all the stuff we talked about, earthquakes, famines, issues that are going on. It's very easy for somebody to come in and have all the answers. If you give people what they want, they'll do anything you want them to. After the first service, we were talking about this in Sunday school class. April brought up a great point. She said, you know, after World War I, uh, the Germans were annihilated. They had lost everything. They had lost their land. They lost uh, their income. This was now once a very wealthy nation who was very poor. And so they needed now something. They needed something. And Adolf Hitler rose up and began to give them things and began to tell them things and be, give, be able to be something, a rallying point for them to get them to return to their former glory. So much so these people desired comfort, food, clothing, nice houses so much so they turned a blind eye of millions of Jews being killed. Oh, it happens. It does happen, and it will happen. Only this time it won't just be Jews. It'll be Jewish believers in Jesus Christ who will be killed. And it will be Christians, people who convert following the rapture, who will be killed. Listen, thirdly, talk about a world religion I don't find that possible, Pastor. That's crazy. You really think that all these religions are going to come together under one covering, under one head, to worship a man? They're going to bow down and worship the Antichrist as God. Well, you really think that's the first time that's happened? <laughs> Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember in the days of Nebuchadnezzar and he had a statue erected of himself and it was really a, a symbol also of what was going to be coming of the... Uh, coming of the, um, the Antichrist himself is going to do a very similar thing. And he said, when the music plays, I want you to bow down and worship. And they did what? They obviously did not. They were thrown in the fiery furnace for it. We know that God delivered them. An entire nation bowed down to their king out of fear. Fear of what? Fear of death. Fear that they may not get the things they want. Fear they might lose the promises that he said he would have. Sure, I'll bow down. Listen, in our nation today, if there's a prayer meeting in Washington, D.C., it's no longer just a Christian prayer meeting. Everybody shows up. Everybody come and pray to your God however you want to pray to your God. There is a growing mindset of universalism. 
What is universalism? Universalism is the mentality that says you just sincerely search and seek out whatever God it is that you want to search and seek out and all those paths lead to the same God and we'll all get along and everything will be fine. Eventually, that mentality of we're all worshiping and praying together is all going to be brought under the head and the covering of the Antichrist himself where people will bow and worship him. You're not going to see that before the rapture, but I'm telling you, it is coming and it will happen. It'll happen in the middle of the tribulation period which leads us to the mark of the beast. Middle of tribulation period, it's no longer just a choice to be a part of the world economy. It's no longer just a choice to buy and sell based upon uh, however they choose to make this mark on people to buy and sell. It is going to be mandatory. And if a person does not bow down and worship and receive the mark, they will be beheaded. I mentioned that last week. I always get concerned when I see Christians being beheaded in mass uh, like there are by, by ISIS currently because that is definitely a spirit and mentality of the Antichrist. So we have this to think about. Is it possible? There were years and years ago where people said there's no way, there's absolutely no way that there could be one mark that could be put on people all over the world to where they could be tracked, their spinning could be done, and all these things could happen. There's just no way that could happen. And then we enter ourselves in today's day and age. You know, they thought it was the credit card, they thought it was the barcode, they thought it was... The computer over in Europe called the beast, you know, when it filled up one room. How many of you have your cell phones on you right now? I'm not saying a cell phone is a mark of the beast, but the technology is here today. It's very simple. Matter of fact, the technology that's required to make it happen is actually old at this point. Being able to inject microchip in under the skin is it's that's that's years old at this point moving on to bigger and better things now you know they're they're scanning retinas and all of this kind of stuff but the only thing i know is it's on the back of a hand or on a forehead so it's got to have some kind of a connection to the human body right now they're encouraging these things to be used for medical purposes everything's good right everything's for our good right you remember the the snowden guy i thought i always thought snowden was that little that little uh, snowman that skated. Remember him? How many of you had a Snowden stuffed animal? I knew Cody did. But anyway, um, Cody is the only one that raised his hand. Only man in the room that raised his hand. I had one too. April threw Alyssa's away and then Alyssa cried for like a whole night. But anyway, the Snowden guy, the one that the NSA was after, he worked for the NSA, who was acting under the Patriot Act, which was brought in action through um, right after 2001, after 9-11, uh, they began to, uh, they passed that bill to be able to gather information, which for a good reason, to protect our nation from terrorism, correct? Remember that? Which myself, you know, I, whatever. I'm not a terrorist, so I'm not worried about it, right? Except that this person ran because he was like, you know, these, these guys were looking at him and he, he realized we're gathering billions and billions of people's data every day from all these nations of the world. And I, I don't remember the exact numbers of how many billions they could gather at once. Phone conversation, text messages, uh, Google searches, emails, uh, all of these things can be brought in because of our, our uh, electronic footprint, our data that we use every day. They can connect and path a person's movements every day on how they behaved and what they do. And this person, this Snowden guy... 
uh, says that that's why he was opening this up so that the American people knew that how much data was being collected from them on a daily basis. I'm not saying he's right or he's wrong. I'm saying that they're collecting data right now. It's done right now. It's easily, they can find any one of us at any moment of any day right now. My point is this, all of this stuff sounds good and for our benefit until you are named the enemy of the state. See how quickly things are going to shift when it's time to shift it? Everything is in place. Which brings me to this point, what's next? What's next? At any moment, our Savior can return and call us home. At any moment, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And those of us who are alive and remain will be taken up, caught up, to meet them in the air. And with Him, we shall ever be. So I keep hearing that it's the end times. How do I know? There's a few signs for us to think about. I don't know, I had music coming. Steve was back there. I nodded at him like three times, but he's like... <laughs> and he walked away like, okay, guy's been gone to training for too long or something. Dude, I was like this once, and I was like this, and you didn't come, and I was like this, and you're like... It's all right. I know, it's not about manipulating them with music or anything, but if we can hypnotize ourselves at this point... Listen, folks, I know, it's just what we always do. We always put music because... I don't know why. People are uncomfortable in silence, and we don't want them to be uncomfortable. We want them to remain in their sin. Um, I'm way off topic, aren't I? Listen, what is the purpose of this? Why, why share all of these things? Listen, Peter says, he says, you know, if, if, if things are going to pass away like this, if the world's going to be burned up with a fervent heat, and this is how things are going to end, what holy lives should you be living? I want us to be living holy lives. Listen, if you don't know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, there's no better time than right now. We're not trying to scare you into heaven or out of hell or anything like that. We just want you to know Jesus and to have the same hope that we have. Listen, this stuff shouldn't fear us. It's a great opportunity. It's an exciting time to be alive. You know, it's just like when Esther, you know, for such a time as this, you and I were planted on this earth for this time to be able to do the work of God today. Amen. So, so this is the reality of our situation. And I want to be found working when my Savior returns. I want to be doing his will and his work. You are going to have to find out what work it is he's called you to do. It's your neighbors, is it your coworkers, is it your kids, whatever it may be. And allow God to work in your life in those situations and circumstances. Amen.